0: Well, good morning. We've had a little break now after Easter and kind of working to get back into the routine of things here on Sunday morning. We have two more weeks of this study remaining after today. This class is Profiles from Acts, Men and Women Who Shaped the Early Church. And this morning we are looking at actually one of my favorite personalities, uh, in the book of acts the man cornelius now to my knowledge there is no saint cornelius day or there are no statues erected to him anywhere he has been treated as something of a minor figure in the new testament probably because he was seen more as a recipient than he was a donor or a giver in the spreading of the gospel But I hope that we can see together this morning as we look at his story that perhaps he was a lot more formative and influential in the shaping of the early church than we might have realized over the years. Now, you probably know this story uh, because it's been centered over the years around primarily Simon Peter. Simon Peter has just performed a, a great miracle. He has raised from the dead Dorcas, also known as Tabitha. And uh, the news of the power of the gospel continues to move outward beyond the apostles with explosive force. And Peter is recognized as the primary spokesman of this new gospel, of this good news. What happens here in today's scripture is that... There is a Gentile man who is an army officer with the, the, the Italian regiment, and he is stationed in Caesarea Maritima. Caesarea Maritima is right on the Mediterranean Sea, and it was a major Roman outpost uh, today, a, a site of magnificent uh, Roman ruins still being excavated, a place where... Uh, uh, Christians would later bear witness and suffer by imprisonment, um, but a very bustling urban secular city. so there is a man in Caesarea called Cornelius, who is an army officer, and he is described in scripture as being a devout man, one who is constant in prayer and also almsgiving, which is to be understand understood here in, in this setting as. Someone who gave money to the poor. So he is at prayer one day, and at about the ninth hour, which would be three o'clock in the afternoon, he experiences a vision. Now I would assume that this is an awake vision. Being three o'clock in the afternoon is probably not a dream vision, but it was a vision that came to him, and he saw through his natural eyes something which was supernatural. It is an angel of God coming to him and saying to him, Uh, uh, Cornelius, another example of someone being approached by God or a, a representative of God and simply hearing his name spoken, Cornelius. He hears this. When he looked on him, he was afraid and he said, what is it, Lord? And this angel says, your prayers have caught up before God. Your gifts to the poor have come up as a testimony of your faithfulness before God and now i have a message for you i want you to send men down the coast south along the coast to joppa and look for simon whose surname is peter he is staying with another simon who is a tanner whose house is on the seacoast and i want you to go there and he'll tell you what to do now one thing that strikes me immediately about this vision is the specificity of the instructions given sometimes perhaps even more often than other, when visions are received, they're, they're kind of given and received in code. Uh, there's symbolic language. There are symbolic pictures and characters. There's a symbolic narrative that's being worked out in the vision, and the recipient of the vision uh, is left to himself to figure out what God is saying to him. Someone has said that that in order to communicate with us, God has to speak baby talk because he has to come so far down to to speak to us on a level where we understand. And I think perhaps sometimes that's behind all the imagery uh, that that we have in visions. It's just not so clearly spoken. But this is an unusual example of a vision which is received with very clear, very explicit language. I want you to go down to Joppa, find Peter, who's at Simon's house. Simon is a tanner. He lives by the seaside. Once you talk to Simon Peter there, he's going to tell you what to do. So the angel leaves, and Cornelius, remember now, he's an army officer. Uh, He commands two of his household servants and another soldier who is described as devout, and he shares this vision with them and sends them on to Joppa. So the next day they get up, to go on their journey, and they get there about the sixth hour, which is noon. So we have another midday vision coming. So Peter is praying about noon, and he receives a vision. The, revision, the vision that Peter receives is of <clears throat> a sheet, which is tied up in the corners, and it's being lowered. And on that sheet, there are all kinds of creatures. There are four-footed animals, and there are reptiles, uh, and uh, beasts of the the field, and fowls of the air. And Peter hears a voice to rise up and kill and eat. And Peter apparently uh, was one who recognized the kosher laws. For he said, oh, no, Lord, I can't do that because from childhood I have never eaten anything impure. And the voice speaks back to Peter and says, what God hath cleansed, that call not thou common. In other words, what God has cleansed is clean and don't you call it unclean. That, um, that particular verse has, has great meaning to me uh, in in a blessing given to me by someone very, very close to me once upon a time. And uh, what you're doing and who you're called to be, if it's in the hand of God, it is holy and it is clean, don't you ever doubt it. Now, Peter receives this vision three times, and then the sheet is lifted up to heaven. Peter is trying to figure out what in the world all this means, and there's a voice outside the gate and the delegation from Caesarea is calling for Peter. They explain to Peter what has gone on, that that their commander, their officer, has received a vision that he's there, there to come to him, get him, take him back to Caesarea Maritima, and he's supposed to tell them all that God lays on his heart. So this happens. So Peter, along with some of... uh, of the gentile i mean jewish christian believers go with this delegation back from joppa back to Caesarea maritima and they get there and they they see this gathering they see this assembly of people uh, dear friends family members probably other representatives from the military community waiting to hear from peter and Peter shares the gospel with them. The Holy Spirit falls on them. They speak in tongues. They receive baptism. And what has just happened here is that the gospel has been presented to the Gentiles for the first time ever. It seems to me a very, very important day for us Gentiles. The first time our spiritual ancestors received the good news of Jesus Christ and salvation by faith in his shed blood on the cross happened in Caesarea Maritima because an army officer who was a Gentile was devout in his prayers and devout in his giving to the poor. It seems to me that Cornelius somehow should be invited out of the shadows of this story and put in the full light of the miracle of which he was a part because of his part. What was Cornelius all about? Cornelius, a Gentile army officer, was committed and known by God for two things. He was known by God for his constant prayer and he was known by God for his giving to the poor. And twice it is mentioned here in this passage that Cornelius' prayers and Cornelius' almsgiving to the poor had been received by God in heaven as testimony of him. Consequently, now God reaches out and pulls him out of anonymity and sets him in the center of a magnificent story of Gentiles receiving the gospel for the first time. Cornelius here is not a proactive figure in the sense of missionary journeys or writing scripture, but he is proactive in his own private devotion and God sees what other men do not see and calls him to receive the gospel for the first time as a Gentile. Do you think that God is always working quietly and secretly behind the scenes like this to make these divine appointments? Don't you think that there's a lot more that goes on that we'll never see or, or ever know about? Perhaps when we leave this world and, and our natural eyes are, are left behind and God gives us spiritual sight, we'll be able to see all kinds of marvelous stories like this because the Spirit of God is always working to, uh, to network and to set up these divine appointments. Methodist Church has a a doctrine which I love called the doctrine of, of prevenient grace. Anybody ever heard of prevenient grace? The doctrine of prevenient grace goes like this. God proactively himself seeks after men and women with his grace in such a way that when His grace envelops them, they have free will to decide for Him or against Him. Prevenient, pre pre-before-venient, like venue. If we were saying this today, we might say preceding grace. Grace of God which precedes the gospel message. The grace of God which moves a person's hearts and mind to consider and to decide and to act. And that's possible because God's grace is already acting in that person's life. Now, without Simon Peter, there would have been no gospel preached here. But without Cornelius and the prevenient grace of God working in his life, there would have been no gospel preached. I think this about this scripture. I think that there are countless people Out there in the secular world, upon whom the provenient grace of God has fallen, and they are hungry for something that they have not yet heard of. They are yearning for a fulfillment, uh, the source of which has not yet been presented to them. But there is a working of God in their lives preparing them for some moment. When someone like Simon Peter or someone like you or someone like me is sent to intersect their paths and they are ready because the provenient grace of God has been working in their lives, they are ready to hear what you've got to say to them about Christ, about what I have to say to them about Christ, what circumstances have to say about, to them about Christ, because they ha, have been prepared by the provenient grace of God for just such a moment as this. We are spiritual creatures. We are, at essence, spirit, not flesh. Our flesh will die, and it will rot away, but our spirits will survive the death of our flesh. We are not humans having a spiritual experience when we're in this world. We are spirits having a human experience in this world. And because we are spirit, deep cries out to deep. The depth of spirit within us, that which is truly lasting deep and and, and strong and powerful, cries out to spiritual truth. So what we have here is, in Cornelius, who by outward appearances was a very secular person, but known by God for his secret prayers and his secret gifts to the poor, has that part of him which is lasting, touched by the provenient grace of God, and God pulls him into this moment of of the gospel being shared for the Gentiles for the first time. I think that we worry way too much about uh, having everything just right before we say anything about our faith. We worry too much about conditions being just perfect for us to bear witness to what Christ means to us. We are dependent far too much upon reason and logic an understanding in terms of whether we should or whether we shouldn't say something in a given moment. And that is because we forget that God is working ahead of us in sharing his prevenient grace for a moment just such as this. Springtime, beautiful spring this year. We did not have a late frost or a late freeze to to kill the buds, and so everything's a little bit early. We already had baby birds in our yard. I've seen baby cardinals, I've seen baby Carolina wrens, I know where some other nesting sites are, so it's a time of, of, of great newness of life. And it, it calls to mind a, a, a moment that I had with, um, with, with, with nature a number of years ago as I was watching uh, parent birds, Phoebes, which is, a Phoebe is a kind of flycatcher. They build mud nests up under patios and elevated porches. And a pair of Phoebes had built one of these mud nests up under a raised patio where I was living. And and I would, from time to time, just go and stand outside the patio door and just watch the birds come. And it became evident they had young, and so I watched them more carefully. And I just happened to be standing there, looking up at this little adobe nest, when one of the baby Phoebes hopped up on the ledge of the nest and began this teetering like this. And I said, oh, my goodness, we have got to see this. And I stood there and I watched, and I actually saw this bird fledge. I actually saw this baby bird fly and leave the nest. And uh, when, it, when it flew, it, it, it went maybe 20, 30 yards, and it, it lit in the fabric of a chain-link fence. Suddenly, out of nowhere, here comes the parent Phoebe, swooping down. And by body actions, you could see that the parent Phoebe was trying to get the baby Phoebe to come up higher off of the ground, because it was only about two feet off the ground when it lit in that chain-link fence. And the bird was going back and forth, high to low, high to low, as if, come, follow me, follow me, follow me. And the the baby bird just stood there in 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 the fabric of the fence. Finally, I saw all of this the parent bird flew down to the ground, caught a bug, flew back to the top rail of the fence with the bug clearly visible and it kind of fluttered around to catch attention to the baby bird and then flew up to a branch and immediately the baby bird followed the parent bird up into the tree. Prevenient grace? The parent bird out of Provision and love for the baby bird. Working in front of the the baby bird, out beyond the baby bird, saying, follow me, follow me. I have what you need. It's safe up here. There's food up here. I'm up here. And I thought when I watched that, this is a parable in nature. My God creates. He sustains in the nest. He watch over us when we leave the nest. He leads us upward and higher. And he provides for us what we really need. And I just saw that acted out in creation. We Gentiles would not have received the gospel as we did in this scriptural record without the prevenient grace of God or the preceding grace of God. Simon Peter was was surprised. He got there, he preached the gospel, the Holy Spirit fell. The Gentiles spoke in tongues. The Jewish Christians who were there were surprised that the Holy Spirit had fallen on the Gentiles. But Simon Peter said, wisely so, it's clear to us that God is no respecter of persons. He is a God of salvation for Jews, and He is a God of salvation for Gentiles, and He has been here working, obviously. And the Holy Spirit has fallen. How can we refuse to baptize these who have now become Christians? And so there was a baptism. Uh, always wondered about these immediate baptisms, whether you know that was just done right there in the house or... You went down to the creek, or you found a mikvah, or ceremonial baptismal pool, but whatever. Uh, a part of that closure was a baptism which came soon. And it, all of this started, now listen, all of this started within an army officer who was a Gentile, who had a private devotional life, And he was generous to the poor. And the grace of God went to him. And spoke to the hunger of his heart. And gave him a vision. He acted on the vision. Simon Peter and others came. And then the first verse of chapter 11 in Acts says, It became known throughout the church that the gospel has been presented and received by the Gentiles. Now, What's the relevance of all of this for us? First of all, it's not just us. God calls us out to represent him, however that may be, with a bowl of soup, or personal testimony, or a financial gift to somebody who's hurting, struggling at the moment. It's not just us. We are not alone in this. There is a divine partnership in which the grace of God is carried out before we get there. And preparation is made within the hearts and the minds of the people that God is networking us with, such that our efforts will never, ever, ever be in vain. We decided early on when we um, started this class that, that We would have to remember that the name of this book is the Acts of the Apostles and not the doctrines of the Apostles or the sermons of the Apostles or the orthodoxy of the Apostles or the lives of the Apostles, but the Acts of the Apostles. And with that understanding that the Acts of the Apostles would be translated in our own lives as the Acts of the Faithful One because there's always a behavioral component to, to being a Christian. Christianity is not a place to stand. It's not a doctrine of believing. Christianity is a road to walk. It is an action. It is a journey from one place to another. When we consider that we are called by the Holy Spirit of God to act out our faith and not simply believe but actually behave our faith, we remember that we are never ever alone and God has gone on beforehand. You notice in the Gospels that when Jesus goes from place to place, he sends out out people beforehand to get the place ready for him. There are those who go out, for example, when he went into uh, uh, Bethany and on the Mount of Olives, and uh, he he had sent an advanced team to go and get a donkey that no one had ridden on before, and they take care of that, and they're the logistics team for this, but they've gone on before the Lord. I suspect that more times than we'll ever know on this side God has prepared somebody by His provenient grace just for you. Just for me. And you're not waiting on that person that's been prepared by the provenient grace of God has not been prepared for the rector or the associate rector or the church deacon or a Billy Graham type but prepared precisely, exactly, with you in mind. Because there's something about your personality, there's something about your history, there's some commonality between you and this other person. That God has that has allowed God to link you together and you and, and, and the gears of your life perfectly match the gears of the other person's life. And when you are in the same place together, something happens or something will happen that would happen with no one else but with you. Simon Peter had gone charging up to Caesarea Maritima, which was a a Roman city, a Roman colonial outpost, uh, and just started door-to-door evangelism and knocking on doors. This would not have happened. But God's Spirit went before Simon Peter and prepared, in His grace, willing, receiving hearts. I think, secondly, that when we finally meet up, and perhaps we recognize that this is a divine appointment that we're in. We're talking to somebody right now whom God perhaps scheduled before this person was born for me to talk to. I'm in this appointment right now. Here it is. And not only will God give that person the prevenient grace and the hunger and the thirst for righteousness so that they will be filled, but He also puts into our mouths and into our minds things that were not there before but which are provided in our moment of need. There is a scripture that says, and Jesus is doing the speaking, when you are Taken before the authorities to give an account of yourself. Do not worry in advance about what you're going to say. Because it will be given to you at the moment. You won't study it in advance. You're not rehearse it or practice it. It will come out of your mind and your spirit and your lips at precisely the right time for precisely the right person because that's how the Spirit of God works providing His prevenient grace not only for the recipient but also for the giver. Have you ever found yourself in one of those moments in which suddenly you began saying things with such clarity and it's like it's not you talking? And well, where did that come from? I've never had that thought before. I've never felt this feeling before. Why am I so filled with compassion for this person? I hardly know this person. I mean, I almost want to cry, hearing this person's story. I had an experience like that uh, years ago when uh, living in Maryland. I, I was I was asked to pray, actually with an Episcopal priest. He was dying of Lou Gehrig's disease, and we had become friends. And he had received the diagnosis. And he was fighting it. Uh, he, he did not want that disease. He did not want to die young. Uh, and, and he asked if I would pray over him. We had another mutual friend who was a Roman Catholic priest. I invited him, and he came, and we were in my office there at the church. And I had been praying for some time that the Lord would teach me to love like he loved. And that was my prayer. Lord, teach me to love like you love. Jesus, teach me to love like you love. Look back on it, very dangerous prayer, because he did. But it was some painful lessons in that. But uh, So my, my, my friend, the Episcopal priest, sat on the couch in my office. I went around and got behind him and put my hands on his shoulders. And as soon as I put my hands on his shoulders, I collapsed on him. I just fell forward and I began to sob. Just sobbing. No one had said a thing. I just put my hands on him. I began to sob. And I realized what was happening. I was feeling this man's despair. I was feeling his fear. I was feeling all of the angst and anguish of his soul about his death coming. And I just cried, laying on him from behind him with my hands on his shoulders. What happened to me at that moment was that God had set that appointment for us and I had been praying like I was praying to love like Jesus loved and Jesus let me do that. I took into my own heart and my own emotions the emotions of this man who was dying. Now look, there was nothing in me that did that on my own. It was a divine moment it was a divine appointment. It was prevenient grace going before us in setting up that meeting in humbling not only the heart of this young priest. He was young, young priest. But humbling my heart too. So that the grace of God connecting the two of us would bring that moment about. And it was a, a very memorable, as you can tell, experience for me. The upshot is, folks... We worry too much about this, and we forget that God is working, and He's with us, and He's gone on ahead to prepare the way. He's prepared the hearts before us. Some of you may have family members you've been burdened about. Some of you may have neighbors. Some of you have people that may have people that you work with, and you feel like you need something, but you're to, to say something or do something, but you're scared to death that you're going to look like a fool that you're going to fall on your face, that you're going to make things worse, that you're going to mess it all up. And what's wrong there is that we just don't learn from the scriptures. <laughs> We're time and again and again and again and again. God goes before us. He opens the doors. He humbles the hearts. He gives the words. He gives the emotions and we're not responsible, ultimately, He is. Now, recall in, in conversation in seminary about personal evangelism a comment that was made uh, we are not responsible for winning people to Christ. We're not. We're just responsible for sharing our faith. And the Holy Spirit does the winning. All we do is plant our seed, scatter our seeds. And some of that will fall on good ground. And some of it will, will bear up. Bring forth the fruit. Others will be wasted. Well. Are we failures. When we share our faith. And share our love. When that, that's not received. We're not failures if somebody else. Doesn't receive it. We're only failures if we don't share it. So. So. In this little journey that we've had in the Acts of the Apostles here, let me call you back to one of our preliminary theses. Again, Christianity is not a place to stand. It is not a doctrine. Christianity is a road to walk. It is a journey from one point to another point. Consequently, it is not the doctrine or the orthodoxy or the theology of the Acts that we study. It is the acts of the apostles. It gives us the encouragement and the understanding and the humility to go thou and do likewise. So folks, this coming week, trust God to go before you. All right? Open your eyes for perhaps some divine appointment. Nobody might sense it but you. But suddenly there's this, you know, Here he is, and here I am. And uh, it's quiet. And I've been wanting to do this. So I'm going to do it now. And just watch the power of the Holy Spirit go before you and bless your effort. It is a win win situation for you. You win if it's received. You win if it's not received. Because even if it's not received, you have done it. And I'm not talking about some great theological sermon. Just God loves you and I love you. And if I can ever be there for you, I want to be your friend. And I pray for you and I want you to know that. And if you ever want to talk about this further, just give me a call. I'll be there. That's it. That's it. That's it, right? And God can take that little thing and do wonders with it. Um, could I share a Cornelius
1: moment that God did with me in the hospital? Yes.
0: Mm-hmm. Come on, Pat.
1: <clears throat> no one teaches you this stuff uh, about spiritual vision. But we need to understand there are those who have been given spiritual vision, and it may be just for. Flash of a moment, and I had—I uh, used to visit patients and pray with them and tried in Trident Hospital, uh, and Lee as well. And I walked in one day, and this man—he was a farmer—and he had skin cancer, and they had to remove what I would call, basically, most of his upper uh, part of his face. And a hamburger looked good compared to what I was seeing. But his wife made a comment how he refused to look in a mirror. He, he just didn't want to see what he, may, he thought he may have to live with. So that was a, you know, a difficult time. Two days later, a very dear friend of mine was on the same floor, two doors down. Not everybody's in the hospital two days later. But it came to my mind, gee, I'm just going to go see if he's here. That's all it was. And I knocked on the door, and his wife invited me in. And when I saw him, he was totally healed. This is what I saw. And my exuberance could not be contained. I said, I cannot believe how much you have healed in just two days. And his wife's kind of looking at me odd. Because, see, I wasn't seeing the present, I was seeing the future. And the hope that this man needed and he said to his wife give me a mirror
0: oh.
1: and then i saw the natural but that was could not have been done by me mm-hmm. the, because it was truth i mean i was just bouncing off the walls because i could not believe what i was seeing because mm-hmm. it was true to me mm-hmm. because it was what he needed but no one, no pastor's ever taught me that. But what I've learned from that is be careful. There's other people watching you that do have spiritual vision. <laughs> <laughs> okay,
0: thank you. Thank you for that, Pat. All right. Well, our, our time has is, is, uh, escaped us now. And we have two more, two more classes. So uh, God be with you this week. And keep your eyes open for that moment and that appointment. Because God's prevenient grace is working out there and going before you. God bless.